Well, good morning. Uh, it is good to be with you this morning. If you uh, did not join us last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen because it's a good setup to where we're going and what we're doing. Uh, this might look familiar if you didn't join us last week. We did this series in the spring called The Way. Uh, our mission here is connect every life to Jesus. The way we do that is we want to help people belong, become, and build. And when we did that, we, we introduced that idea through Matthew 4, 19, and Jesus telling us, come follow me and I'll make you fish, fishers of men. And so this time around, the difference is we're still talking about how he invites you into that, but he's, we're also focusing more so this time around on how he's invited those people who you know, who don't know Jesus into that. So he wants to use you in that. And we're trying to help explain that a little bit. And so this morning we're going to talk about belonging, but before we do, I'm going to pray for us. And then do I have a story for you? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thanks for the opportunity to worship you, to give you glory, to give you honor and praise this morning. And as we turn to your word, as we listen to this invitation that comes straight from your mouth to the disciples and ultimately to us, uh, will we find our belonging in you and you alone, and we help others find their belonging in you and you alone. Jesus, we ask that you would just be glorified by our time together. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. So as I was in high school, belonging meant everything, right? Like, I mean, like, maybe this wasn't true for you. Maybe you were more confident than me. But when I entered into high school, like, I just wanted to belong somewhere. And so for me, I found a place where I finally wanted to belong, uh, and that was the swim team. Okay, now this is what you need to know. The swim team, anybody could go out for the swim team. You just had to be willing to put a Speedo on and jump in a freezing cold pool twice a day. I was stupid enough to say yes to that, Okay. And so I joined the swim team. And the thing is, is like we had conditioning before we actually got to like swim practice. And so uh, it was made very apparent when we were conditioning that like you are not a part of the swim team yet as a freshman until we decide as seniors that you are. And you'll know when that day comes because initiation will take place. Okay, well, guess I'm gonna have to wait a little longer to belong, right? Now, I wanted to belong so bad that I was like just ready for initiation to happen. My brother had been on the swim team, and so he did give me a little bit of a heads up of what initiation was. Uh, and here it is. Initiation for our high school swim team was the ultimate wedgie. Okay? Now, there's lots of questions in your mind. I'm not answering those questions. Okay? I'm going to leave that up to your own imagination. I'll just tell you that finally when my turn came, it was after morning swim practice. It always happened after morning swim practice. And they just pick us off one by one, right? Today, the day that it was my day. Right? And here come the seniors to give me my ultimate wedgie. And I, like, I was just so excited to get my ultimate wedgie because it meant I would belong. Yes, I just said that out loud, right? Like, yeah, I was just excited. And like, I get my ultimate wedgie, they get done and they gather around you and they'd be like, Lance, 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 Lance. And they're like, welcome to the team. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, I was just like, I don't even know what just happened to me, but I didn't care because I finally belonged. And I was like, it cost me something. I will tell you that this ultimate wedgie wasn't something that was easy to go through. It cost me something to belong to that swim team. It's like that all over our world. If you want to belong somewhere, it costs you something. You go to Costco, you better believe that lady ain't letting you in, right? You got to have that card. Not even if you left it in the car. She don't trust you. Get back out there and find it, right? It's not happening. You want to belong to the frequent flyer club? You, you got to pay thousands of dollars to make so many flights so that way you hit this level and then you can go into that one place where nobody else can go and I don't even know what happens back there because I've never been part of it. 
You don't belong to the United States. You got to watch uh, Joey Chestnut eat 62 hot dogs on the 4th of July. You're not American if you don't do that, right? But there's a cost to the things for you to actually belong to something, except for when it comes to Jesus. Belonging to Jesus costs you nothing, but it costs Jesus everything. It didn't cost you anything. Because you see, the price for you to belong to Jesus was paid so far before you ever walked this earth. So realistically, it doesn't cost you anything except for to say, yep, I'm in. Yeah, I want that. That's what we're talking about today. When, when we're talking about belonging, it didn't cost you anything, so therefore it doesn't cost anybody else anything either. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be in Acts period, uh, but Acts chapter 2. We kind of see this picture of belonging begin to develop in the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, I don't know about you, but we try not to in our house deal with absolutes, okay? Like my daughter right now, she says that all fifth graders have a cell phone, except for her, right? It's like, first of all, that ain't true. Second of all, I don't care, right? Like, you ain't getting a cell phone. Uh, so, but, but he, when he says all believers were to get meeting together in one place, sometimes we'd be like, wow, that's a lot of people, right? But if you flip back to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says, during this time, there were about 120 believers who were together in one place. So you're talking 120 believers who are all together. Now, it's important that they are all together. Why are they all together at this time? Well, on the day of Pentecost, there were three pilgrimage festivals that took place in Jerusalem every year. And by pilgrimage, I meant people came from all over, walked from all over the world to be able to be a part of these festivals. Not all over the world, but all over the area, right? And so here are these people from different kind of tribes, different languages, and they're showing up in Jerusalem in the temple to kind of celebrate this festival, which was a festival to celebrate the harvest, Pentecost. And so not only are they gathered all together, but there's a lot of people that are gathered all together and people that speak different languages are, are from different cultures. And so it was just kind of like a, a true like melting pot, pot, pot of people. Jeez, there it is, right? And now Jesus has died. He's, he's resurrected. He came back and he's ascended back up into heaven. And he said, what to the disciples? I'm going to send to you this Holy Spirit, this, this helper, this advocate. And that had not yet happened. It happens right here in Acts chapter 2. We don't have time to read the whole thing. So if you have time later today or this week, read the entirety of Acts chapter 2. What happens is the Holy Spirit comes and... Uh, Upon these 120 people's heads, it looks, like what is, it looks like a flame to other people. And they start speaking in different languages. Start speaking in tongues, right? These different languages. They don't know these languages. They start speaking. And people are walking by and they haven't heard anybody talk their language. All of a sudden, this whole group of people, that, that guy's talking my, he's speaking my language. What's he saying? All of a sudden, this becomes this big scene. Like here are these people all talking in different languages and people that are walking by are recognizing that there is something going on here because I hear my own language and that guy obviously hears his own language. She hears her own language. What is happening right now? They assume this crowd of people, this 120 people, they're, that they're drunk. Peter even says, hey, 
He says in verse 15, these people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's way too early for that, right? And then Peter steps forward and he says, actually, this is what's happening. Let me, let me tell you what is happening. And, and Peter begins to preach. And it's amazing. You should read it. It's so good. And he, he, he's just bold and he preaches. And at the end of it, the people, they're, they're so intrigued. There are certain people that are so intrigued by it that they want to know what else are we supposed to do. And sit back, to, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? I can't, they've heard this. They've seen this. And they want to know like the same question I shared last week with my testimony. I want what they have. Here's a moment. Like, what do I got to do? And Peter replies, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you, your children and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord, our God. Then Peter continued to preach for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, 3,000 in all. So when we end verse 41, there's 3,120 believers. Now it's important for us to know that piece so that we can understand the next piece, right? I said this last spring when I, when I preached on belonging, is that belonging leads to belief in Jesus. I really truly believe that. I believe that and for, in order for us uh, to allow people who don't know Jesus, who are far from Jesus, uh, to actually come to know Jesus, they, they have to feel a sense of belonging first. Now, does it happen opposite of that sometimes? Absolutely. But I think more times than not, much like my testimony, I didn't just accept Jesus and then go and belong somewhere. I felt like I belonged somewhere and realized I didn't really line up with where I was belonging and I needed to do something, which was believe in Jesus. And so I do believe that to be true. Our, our belonging comes before belief. We've been asked that a couple of times, like when you talk about our strategy of how we're going to accomplish connecting every life to Jesus, it's belong, become, and build. Well, where's believing at? And I always tell uh, anybody that asks that question, our hope is that believing comes right at the end of belonging and right before becoming, because we want you to accept Jesus and then you begin becoming for the rest of your life more and more like Jesus. You see, it's, it's built into that. But first and foremost, we have to make sure that people feel like they could belong, that they could even have a chance at belonging to a church. In order to do that, the focus has to turn inward first. So let's go ahead and keep reading. Here's what the early church looked like. Verse 42, chapter 2, X. All believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold the property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, I... When I look at that, it's a, it's a prescription of what does the church supposed to be doing? What's it look like? What's it supposed to look like? And the first thing you see is a devotion to God's word. It's a devotion to God. They de devoted themselves to the apostles' 
teaching to the, the ones who actually saw Jesus and told them the stories about Jesus. And so for us, what's the, that word that we are devoted to? It's right here. We believe at this church, this is 100% true. It's inerrant. It is the word of God. It is a way for you and I to get to know Jesus and become more like him. And so we have to have an individual devotion to God's word, not just collectively. We have a collective devotion to God's word. If I ever stand up here and I don't have this in my hand, come up here and walk me out to the front door and tell me I'm done. Okay, seriously. Because I don't got much to say to you. This has got everything to say to you. This is it. We have to have a devotion to God's word. James Boyce puts it this way. A spirit-filled church is always going to be a Bible-studying church. These two things go together. What is true of the church is also true for the individual. If you are spirit-filled, then you will be drawn to this book. You just will. You wake up and you're like, I, I need to read that again today. It helped yesterday. It'll help today. There's got to be, in order to belong, there's got to be a devotion to the word. Second, there's a deep devotion to fellowship, to being together. This month, uh, a man and I will celebrate having been at White River for nine years. That's weird to think about, right? doesn't feel like that long, but at the same time, my kids have grown quite a bit in that time. Nine years. When we interviewed at this church, one of the things that we kept continually hearing that drew us to this church was it's a big church that feels small. Well, why is that? Because there's true fellowship taking place. There's a, a common, okay, the original word is koinonia for fellowship, which means a common practice towards God, right? This is common participation in God. And for us, that's what we want. We want you, this is why we have group link events that Paul announced earlier. We want you to get connected to a smaller group of people that you can live life with, that you can pray with, that you can share meals with. These are all things that we see in this Acts chapter two, verse 42 and on. But in order for us to really truly have that, we have to have that smaller group of people, that fellowship that we can have with one another. And it's beautiful when you do, right? It's so much fun when you do. Is it hard? Yeah, at times it is. You're hanging out with other people, right? It's it's not easy. If you hang out with me enough, it'll be hard, I promise, right? But we'll have fun, right? We'll get to know each other. We'll be able to pray for each other. We'll be able to eat with each other. They were actually having fellowship, common occurrence around something. A common fellowship. Because you see, we all share one thing in common in this room. Every one of us. This is a big room. There's a lot of us in here. There's a lot of differentiation between us in this room. There's one thing we all have in common. Romans tells us, for all sin and fallen short of go of God. Every single one of you, including myself, is a sinner in need of a savior. So one thing that we have in common. You know what? That's the one thing we have in common with everybody around this entire planet. Every single person on this earth is a sinner in need of a savior, whether they know it or not. And therefore, we do have something in common with those that are on the other side of the world, with people we've never met before, with the person that lives right next door to us. We are all sinners in need of a savior. And look at this. Verse 43 says this. As they did these things, as they had this fellowship, a deep sense of awe came over them. 
I think that's one of the most overused words in the English language, awesome. Okay, it's not awesome that I can order whatever I want in my Taco Bell box through an app, okay? I might say that, I'm sorry, it's not awesome, okay? Is it great? Yes. Awesome? No. I don't stand back at Taco Bell and be like, you filled my box exactly how I wanted it. I don't do that. That would be weird, right? But when I see things happen in this church, I stand back this morning in the lobby. I've had three conversations so far where all I could say is praise God for that. Because I'm in awe that he would do something like that. That's what, I'm ta- that's what we're talking about. In awe that we could have that kind of fellowship, that we could have that kind of devotion, that we could have that kind of generosity. The third thing. So we got dev- devotion to God's word, uh, devotion to fellowship. And the last thing is a devotion to generosity. A devotion to generosity. Now I want you to go ahead and take whatever you just came into your mind and remove it because you probably thought, well, he's talking about money. I'm not talking about money. I'm not. What this says is this. All believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. Not a few of us, all people. You see, they were so devoted to fellowship that they could literally see the needs in other people's lives. And they used whatever they had to meet those people's needs. This this has nothing to do with the church offering. It does a little bit, but truthfully, it means you living so closely in connection and fellowship with other people that you can see the needs that they have and that you step in at the best. The best way we do this in the modern world is meal train. Okay. Like you women out there, you're like, oh, meal train. You know, like I said, we're like, oh, great, a meal train. You know, like we get on the meal train. My job is to deliver. I'm the delivery boy for our meal train in our house. I don't know about you other guys. Like I deliver the meals. They ask what it's in it. I have no idea, but I'm going to go home and eat whatever was in this because she made double portion. So that's what I'm having for dinner, right? Like that's what meal train means to me. But meal train, why? Because we provide meals when somebody loses someone. We see that there's a need and we can step into it. And it's, it's a fairly easy need for us to step into. A family, a couple, they have their first kid and we create a meal train because, you know, like, they don't know what's about to happen to them, right? Like you're going to want this casserole, I promise you, right? Like we step into those needs because we can see those. But the truth is, is there, there, there's more needs out there. There's more opportunity for generosity. Tim also used to say this, we give him our time, talent, and treasures. And I just told him we're missing something, your testimony. Because listen, one of the greatest things that you can share is the story that God's had you on. Because whatever you've been through in the past, somebody else in this room most likely is going through right now. Whatever you're going through right now that Satan's convincing you, you're the only person that's ever gone through this, it's a bunch of baloney because there's somebody else in this room who's gone through it. One of the greatest things that we can be generous with is our story. It has the most impact in my mind. Because why? Because when I know you know what I've been through, I'm willing to listen to anything you got. That happened in this, out there in the lobby right before this service started with me and another individual. 
because it's powerful when we're generous with not just money, when we're generous with everything we have to belong. It takes a devotion to Jesus. Excuse me, devotion is to Jesus, right? It takes a devotion to, to his word. It takes a devotion to fellowship and it takes a devotion to generosity. This passage, I want you to know this and it's important we make this note. This passage is where our church truthfully comes from in a lot of ways. If you do not know this about White River Christian Church, we're part of the Restoration Church Movement. Um, that started uh, early 19th century, but about 50 years ago, uh, we started this church I say we, I wasn't here, but uh, it started, right? People like us. And the whole idea and the whole point of the Restoration Church was to get back to restoring the way the early church lived. The desire was, hey, these churches in the Midwest, it's primarily in the Midwest, so you see them in independent Christian churches in Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, um, some down in Kentucky, right? And the, the whole desire was to get back to living the way the early church lived, to be devoted to word, to be devoted to fellowship, to be devoted to generosity. It's literally what, like where we come from and why we do what we do here at the church. We strive to hold those exact same, those exact same values. And then I love this at the end of 47, look what it says happens. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Listen, church, if we, if we did this, individually and collectively, on a regular basis, what's the end result? More people will be saved. More people are gonna to go to heaven with us. More people are gonna to get to know Jesus and feel like they belong to him and become like him and begin building with us the kingdom of Jesus right here. That's the goal. That's the mission to connect every life to Jesus. Do you see this coming full circle? That's why we're here. You're not here to listen to me. You're here to build Jesus' kingdom on earth. That's what we're called to. All right. So what is that going to take from you? Again, I already said this. You belonging to Jesus costs you nothing. And it costs Jesus everything. And so the question, the questions that come up in my mind are, where are you in those three things? Do you have a devotion to God's word? Are you actually spending time opening up in a Bible and reading that every single day. Listen, there's sometimes I'm the pastor. There's sometimes I open my Bible and do my Devo. I get done and I'm like, I don't even know what I read this morning because I am that tired. Later that day, something will happen. And I'm like, oh, I read that this morning. I read that this morning, right? Like I read that this morning. Where did that come from? Holy Spirit, because he's working something in you when you sit before the word every day. So do you have a devotion to God's word? If you don't begin to develop that discipline, let's figure that out. Come ask questions about how that looks. If you don't have a Bible, take the one that's in the seat pocket in front of you. That's for you. We want you to develop this. Second, do you have a devotion to fellowship? I don't mean by just showing up, sitting in the back pew and then leaving real quick afterwards. Like, I mean, being known and knowing other people in a small group setting, living life with some other people who are trying to be like Jesus as well. Are you, are you devoted to that? If you're not, we have a great opportunity to jump into that coming soon, right? We wanna help you be devoted to a smaller group of people that have something in common. Are you devoted to generosity? Are you devoted to, are you being generous with your time, your talent, your treasures and your testimony? 
Which one of those do you need to think about, pray about, and consider this week about being more generous with? Listen, if Jesus gave us everything, we got nothing but everything to give back to him. We just have to walk through that, process through that, pray through that. So are you living these things out? And then this is why I asked that question, because if you're not, let's get that figured out first. Because the next thing that we need to ask is, who are you helping belong? That's the point of the second time around with the way. We want not only for you to belong, to do these things, but we want you to ask somebody to come and do it with you. Okay, you don't know Jesus. You don't go to church, but maybe you should come and join us. Because we love where we belong. We want you to feel and experience uh, and have the same thing we do, this joy, this awe, this overwhelming sense of community. Come do this with us. We can't ask that question if we're not also doing that first. And so I want to ask you that question. Where are you helping others belong? Now, here's the hurdle. Okay, let me just be honest with you. This is the hurdle. I think it's the hurdle. If it's not the hurdle afterwards, you can say, Pastor, you're wrong. I think the hurdle is we write people off in our mind. We look at their lives and we say, there's no way that person would ever follow Jesus. We look at our neighbor and think, pretty sure they worship a whole nother God. They have a whole nother faith. There's no way Jesus could do anything with that. You know, we look at those other parents on our kids' sports team and we're like, oh, do you hear them talk after the game? There's no shot. And let me tell you, I, I say this because I experienced this. I do this. I've done this. So let me tell you how I did it. I have a buddy from high school. His name's Aaron Holderfield. I asked him to use his full name today. He gave me permission. Aaron and I grew up together. Like we were like, it's one of those kids that like just was, I don't know if you had this or not, but like he was in elementary, middle school, high school. We were just always around each other. We were on the same basketball teams, soccer, uh, not soccer. I, well, I played soccer for a little bit. That was terrible. Anyways, uh, football. Uh, and uh, what else did we do together? Basketball, football, baseball. That's right. I was terrible at that one too. Uh, baseball, right? I mean, we we're just constantly around each other. In middle school, like we were the two kids that we caused ruckus when we were together. We had whatever class it was where you study the map of Africa. And um, we had a test one day. Like we get, you know, like that moment, some of you kids and younger kids aren't going to understand this. But you get in the class and the teacher says, hey, clear your desk and get on number two pencil. You want to see me sweat? Say that to me. I'll just start sweating, right? That's like, because I was never prepared, ever. This was the particular day where I had no clue what we were about to have a test on, right? And Aaron's sitting next to me. He's kind of laughing at me because for some reason he's prepared. He was not that great of a student. Neither was I. I don't know why we were sitting next to each other. We should have sat next to smarter people. But anyways, Aaron starts writing down this. I mean, he is going to town on this map. And I'm like, there is no, you have never been this prepared, right? And I look over and the dude's pulling his sleeve up and like writing stuff down. He's got the map of Africa tattooed on his arm. So what do I do? Psst, let me see that. I start writing everything down. Well, here's the one problem with that. Aaron's not a good speller. So he missed the same amount as I missed for spelling. We had all the places right. We just didn't spell them correctly. The teacher pulls us out in the hallway and says, okay, which one of you is dumb and which one of you is dumber? And I'm like, here's dumber, right? 
busted. We got to high school. I accepted Jesus. I went on this path. Aaron got caught up in what high school can be. He started doing all the things that you shouldn't do in high school. In fact, when we got to senior year, I just, we were so far from each other. I, right then and there, said there's no shot. Aaron Holderfield would ever accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He went into the military. I mean, this is one of these dudes that you definitely want in the military because, I mean, he's solid. He would lay his life down for any of us in this room. But he was choosing to live a life that was so far from God that I thought, there's just no way. If you would have asked me two years ago, name one person out of your high school graduating class of 362, that would be most likely not to ever accept Jesus in their life. I would have told you Aaron Holdfield. About a year ago, I got a message from Aaron. I didn't mean know they accepted Jesus as his Lord's Savior. Amen to that, because I had nothing to do with it. And I remember him asking me, like, what, what are some of the first steps? What would you encourage me to read? What would you encourage me to do? And I thought, God, I have no right to speak to this guy. I have no right. I completely wrote him off. I looked at him and said, this is way too far for Jesus to ever do anything in his life. And then Jesus said, okay, Lance, I guess I'll do it a different way. And did. And today, it still blows my mind. He'll send me a message and I'm like, I'll see him post that he's at church worshiping. I'm like, what is going on? You want to talk about awe? I just sit in awe of what God can do because of what he did through Aaron. And it leads me back to the question. Like, who are you helping understand their belonging? Because this is our, what we're called to do. When I talk about testimony, this is why I talk about testimony. This is first, don't turn there, just listen. First John 1, 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that you may fully share in our joy. That's why we do it. That's why we help other people belong. Listen, when Jesus came to the disciples in Matthew 4, 19 and said, come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, go out there and walk on water first. He didn't say, do a miracle for me. He didn't say, hey, what was your childhood like? Do you need to clean that up before you come? He looked at him and said, come, follow me. Come belong here. I'll show you everything else. That's our job. Plant seeds, water them, invite people, trust that the Holy Spirit's gonna do his. Invite somebody to belong here. Invite them to belong to what you belong to. That's how we do his work here and make his kingdom here like it is in heaven. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for saving my buddy here. Thanks for doing it despite me. Would you forgive me because I didn't think it was possible? We know all things are possible for you. We know the scripture tells us it's for us and for our children and those far from God. It's for everybody because we're all sinners who are in need of a savior. And so would you help us first and foremost to belong, to be devoted to the word, to be devoted to fellowship, to be devoted to generosity. And then would you just 
strike us with awe. All that, that we would just be so overwhelmed with all that we'd have to go share that with somebody else. We'd have to go tell somebody else, hey, you gotta belong to what I belong to because it is the greatest thing you will ever experience. And Holy Spirit, we trust and we ask that you would do your part. We know you're going to, that you're gonna change people's hearts. So help us to be those who plant seeds and who water them. And we long for and look forward to and can't wait to celebrate the fruit of what you do in their hearts. Jesus, we love you and we love you. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.